the quad-core diode Megatro Terraflopper is now ready. I used to know a console cowboy. He worked for a dozen guys. One of them found out about it and beat him up so bad, he ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. I'm in. Hey, it's Dusty. And it's Daniel. And welcome to the Sad Boys Book Club. Uh, we're going to do something a little different today. Uh, so I had this idea uh, yesterday that I told you about. Um, I thought it'd be really fun to uh, essentially give each other a statement that is probably like a little goofy or a little unnatural. And the goal is to write something like a scene or a situation or a, a, a little small story, nothing super crazy long. And you have to naturally incorporate the phrase that the, the other person gave you into it and make make something somewhat coherent. So I had that idea. I, I figured it'd be a fun little thing to do, and uh, Daniel, you were more than happy to oblige me on that. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's it seems pretty fun. Did you, I don't know, what is this? Like, this seems almost like, um, I don't know, it reminds me of like creative writing classes I've taken where they kind of, you kind of come in and you have like a prompt and you like write for the prompt, something like that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to claim that this is any form of original thought. Uh, it's just something I thought about while I was at work yesterday, but um, yeah, I just figured it'd be fun, and you and I have been talking many times over the last couple of months about how we were, we were both wanting to get back into to our writing and whatnot, so I feel like this, this is a fun way to kind of dip our toes in a little bit. Yeah, so uh, yeah, thank you everybody for uh, obliging, uh, or indulging us, rather, uh, as we, we work out some some flash fiction that we we scripted this morning yeah so um do you want to go first or do you want me to whatever you're feeling uh I, i'm curious to hear yours first so i will um I, I will uh did you use on or in i should ask uh i think on okay um so the prompt that i gave daniel was that doesn't belong on my pants all right. Um, this is that doesn't belong on my pants. A a um, a cyberpunk tale. All right. That's it. That's our infiltration point. Which one? The the one with the tritium plate? Of course, the one with the tritium plate. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. That was out of line. I forget. I was nervous on my first job too. It's okay. Two figures stood atop the Telcrest Tower, the fourth largest building in Nuevo Los Angeles, and the one with the weakest security for at least ten miles. Getting past the robot working the door had been so easy. It literally could have been done by anybody so long as they could keep reasonably cool when questioned by the hulking metal behemoth that was shaped like a silverback gorilla with gun barrels sticking out of its shoulder. Which, to be fair, was no small task. But it was somehow still running a GPT model AI, which hadn't been updated in decades at this point. Those things had hallucinated so much that they basically couldn't tell the truth from a lie if the fate of the world had depended on it. 
the, the two men started to walk into the building when they were immediately greeted by, Attention! The building is closed. Please exit the premises. The ancient metallic golem ground out through staticky blown speakers as they entered the well-appointed and chic waiting room. Uh, good evening, said the older of the two men, dressed in jumpsuits and hard hats. Uh, were the city inspectors here for a mandatory, unannounced inspection pursuant to NLA Building Code 197-B? The boxy LED displays the robot had as eyes, an affectation the designer had hoped would humanize the robot, but in fact had done the opposite, rolled as it tried to access a server. In just that moment, the younger of the two clicked his pen twice and absentmindedly scribbled something on his clipboard. This seemingly innocuous action emitted a field that dampened all wireless communications in a nine-foot radius. The robot's request timed out, and it seemed to be trying to formulate something to say when the younger man spoke up. Hey, sorry to rush you, but we've got six other buildings to hit tonight. We can leave if you want, but uh, you'll incur a fine and we'd still have to come back within 24 hours. I do not have any appointments scheduled for this evening. Right, well, yeah, see, that's the thing. These aren't scheduled. We can't tell you ahead of time. The robot shifted into a more directly threatening posture and began to lower the barrels. Please exit the... Hang on, chimed in the older man who presented him with a badge that had a picture of his face and a QR code. The young man clicked his pen again, restoring the connection. The robot leaned in to scan the badge and came to a jerky halt. Suddenly, the slight smell of an electric fire sparked off and the robot moved no more. Its hard drive locked up and encrypted in less than a second after scanning the QR code leading to a ransomware site. Wordlessly, the two made their way to the elevator, ducking their heads and trying to keep camera exposure to the absolute minimum. But there was no more time to remember, and there was a tight schedule to grab the target and meet the contact. If they weren't at the drop-off in 30, there was a good chance they wouldn't be paid, or worse. You ready? The young man asked. Let's go, came the old man's reply. They ditched their clothes and sprayed them down with a rapid decay agent to eliminate all traces of their hair or skin flakes. Now, mostly naked, they made their way through the chilly evening air and opened a non-functional AC unit and put on their infiltration kits. The older man walked over to the anchor point of the lime green Telcrest sign and attached his end of the zip line. He licked and put his finger into the air to feel the wind speed and direction before firing his grapple gun, which traveled over the busy but ignorant street and punctured the concrete just above the tritium-plated door across the road with a satisfying clack. The two men swiftly rappelled across the street and landed right beside the target building's rooftop entrance. They threw off the packs and opened the kits they had on their back and put on the digimasks and mixed a reagent they poured over the handle and where they estimated the deadbolt would be. In a moment, the reagent had eaten through the door materials, exposing the mechanism to open the door. Reaching in with a rod designed for this exact purpose, they popped the latch open and walked in. They had rehearsed this in VR for months and had no trouble finding the vault room in an innocuous office hallway three floors down on the interior side. What they had not been able to simulate was the material that the vault was made of. After concocting stronger and stronger formulas, they eventually ran out of chemicals. The older of the two motioned, indicating that he would need to speak. The young man gave the confirmation in return. Look, we struck out on the chems. We don't have too much longer before somebody spots our entry point and knows what's going on. It's going to be hot, 
but we just need to blow this thing and get out. Okay, I agree. Great. Glad you approve, the old man said with a smirking look, just visible in the, his mostly projection-obscured eyes. Take these, he said and handed the younger man a handful of small round pellets. What are these? Those are tick bombs. You need to scan the safe, look for the weak points, and then place them there by pressing that button on the back. They'll latch on using some spikes. I've programmed them to detonate on my signal. While you take care of that, I'll try to secure the exfil. He slapped the younger man's behind as he walked away. The younger man found that strangely overfamiliar, but didn't really have the time to worry. He pulled the scan gun from the pack left behind and held it over the safe. Two minutes until completion? Fair enough. His mind began to wander. His partner hadn't bothered to inform them, inform him what they were taking. But he figured at the ta- with a take of five million new dollars, some discretion was warranted. His mind flitted excitedly as he earmarked his take. He could finally put a down payment on a condo in the central district. He could finally buy an engagement ring for Gabriella and have the wedding paid for. He also would have just enough for one more night with a particular life e-girl he frequented in the Crimson Lantern District. Just one more time before he got married and then the scanner pinged and startled him back to awareness. He dutifully stuck the ticks where the scanner indicated, holding them against the wall and then hitting the button causing them to bite down. The older man ran in clutching his side. Hurry up and blow this thing, we need to move. The younger man saw he was bleeding from what looked like a knife wound and began to speak. Now! He pushed the buttons, and with a surprisingly quiet series of cracks, the the safe lurched up into the air, propelled into different directions, as the individual charges fired in tight but distinct intervals before falling back to the ground open. The old man reached in and grabbed a tube that had partially rolled out. Over there! A voice rang out in the halls. Let's move, the old man groaned. And even, and even though he was clearly in great pain, he ran to the door with surprising speed. The older man ran to the prepped window and rappelled down. Stop! A shrill voice behind the man called out, very close. How did he get the drop on him? Without thinking, the young man fell back into the security guard. The guard was taken totally by surprise by this and tried to hold him up, even though one of his hands was holding a pistol, and began trying to make a citizen's arrest when the young man grabbed onto his hand and then the gun wrenching them with an efficient, brutal motion, and then a crack before the young man turned around and pointed the gun at the wailing security guard. Sit. Stay. The guard said nothing, looking up with fear, pain, and hate. The younger man, too, rappelled down just in time to see the older man pulling an ancient woman wearing a leopard-skin print dress out of her self-driving SUV. Just as he tossed her to the ground, he spotted the young man. In! As they hopped in, the SUV jerked into the lane as the younger man programmed the drop-off point. No one spoke on the way back, save for the curses of the older man, who grunted as he used his trauma pack to stitch himself closed. Listen, when we get to the drop-off point, I need you to make yourself yourself scarce. Dad, I... You're a rookie, and the boss doesn't deal with rookies. I took a huge risk taking you with me. In fact, I only did this because you needed the help, and you're my son. We'll talk about this later. Where are we going to meet? At my apartment tomorrow. We'll talk then. I know you probably have some questions. Okay. The SUV slowed as they approached the slum-like block of apartments. 
and the old man hopped out. Later that evening, the younger man could not stop shaking, his ears always straining to hear a siren or loud tromping footsteps from either corporate security contractors or, or SWAT's high security response rapid task force. A chill passed through him as he recalled their motto, shoot first, ask questions never, that's what the detectives are for. He tried heating up a bowl of ramen, but it was no good. He couldn't eat. His stomach hurt, and his hands wouldn't stop shaking. Finally, he decided that he would just take a shower. He made his way into the bathroom, where he looked at his haggard face and began to undress. His pants hit the ground with an unfamiliar click, like something hard had been attached to the new material cloth. He stooped down and picked up his pants and squinted as he studied them. All of the blood drained from his face as he recognized a flashing tick bomb in the seat of his pants. All he could muster was a feeble, That doesn't belong on my pants. The bomb replied, Beep, 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 click. And that's it. That's the end. Given that I knew what the prompt was, uh, since it was a, a phrase that I gave you, as soon as you established the tick bombs, I was like, well, that's going to be what's on his pants. And with the butt slap, I was like, well, there it is. There, there it is on his pants. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was no way to really make it a surprise because you, you knew what it was. But I figured I, I, it could at least be an amusing way to get there. Yeah, no, that was that was really good. Uh, you've once again reminded me that you are a much better writer than I am. No, no, it's it, I, I'm, but I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, you you put way more effort into that than I expected, uh, and you, it's 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 gonna make my story look really subpar in comparison. My my I I, I texted you this. I I thought this was going to be like a two three minute long little 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 section here where we just like like a, a piece two or three minutes a piece I should say my thing's two pages yeah I, I I know I should have made mine shorter I just I just I don't know why but it just really your that shouldn't be on my pants we really inspired me for some reason so I I uh, I don't know why it just I just the story just popped into my mind no I'm really happy basically with that. fully formed that's that's fantastic. I'm I'm really happy that you took that and ran with it. Uh, that's great. I, I love that. And how topical to make it a cyberpunk setting? Yep. I I really I don't know. It it was uh it was a little bit a little bit um the road le- left over from the road in my mind. A little bit cyberpunk from uh, Neuromancer that we're doing this week, and a little bit of that old dusty magic. Yeah. When when you said that uh there's the that was his father. I was like, oh, there's the road. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I thought that it was it was kind of a, a fun twist to kind of be like, did his father try to kill him? Was it an accident? You know, let leave that in the the reader or the listener's mind to decide what they think actually happened there. Yeah, that was cool though, man. That was great. That that sounds like a great prologue to a to a a cyberpunk story. I don't know. I might have to uh, repurpose it someday. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Definitely keep that in your back pocket. All right. What what did you come up with? Yeah. Uh, do you wanna you wanna give them what my prompt was? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me let me. Uh, I think I, I basically remember it. It was. Um, I I have a very soft spot for malapropisms. 
um, just in general. Like that, that's one of my favorite aspects of watching like The Sopranos, for example, is is when they they say something. Basically, a malapropism is is this a phrase that is sounds like a different phrase, but the I don't know how to put it. Um, how to best describe it? So it's like saying something like um, "bone apple tea" instead of "bon appetit." That kind of thing. It's like it's it's a it's usually done, but when uh, someone doesn't know exactly what the phrase is, but they've heard it and they're trying to use it for themselves. Um, but uh, so here's here's the um, here's the phrase. I'm not sure what you think I am, but I know that I took you for granted, and that changes today. Here's the the differences: granite versus granted. Um, and I don't know what, how, I, I also noted, as long as you can work in the malapropism, it counts, in my opinion. Let me know if you need a different one. So, I guess, uh, let's see, let's see what you came up with. Yeah. Um, depending on how this goes, uh, since you know my style, and you know some of the, you've, you've read some of the things that I've written, uh, you might, you might be able to see the turn coming, uh, if, if the turn comes. Uh, that'll make sense in a little bit. Uh, so yeah, this is mine. Uh. Once again, the prompt. I'm not sure what you think I am, but I know that I took you for granite, and that changes today. All right. <laughs> Larry sat, distant, and still wiping the tired from his eyes, in front of a soggy bowl of cereal. Only two days from Friday, he told himself. He started at the sound of the bedroom door opening, and looked over to see Sam enter the kitchen. She was dressed and ready for her morning coffee before running to catch the L to work. Slow start this morning? She asked him. Larry barely uttered a grunt in response. His mind faded back into his half-lucid fantasies while mindlessly scooping spoonfuls of the wet, soppy grain into his mouth. He was snapped back into reality once again by Sam, this time touching him on the shoulder. Did you hear me? Larry blinked in confusion. Sorry. Sam sighed, but smiled warmly. I made you lunch today. She held out a paper bag toward him. Larry nodded, sheepishly, and took it. Looking inside, expecting a simple sandwich and a small baggie of potato chips, his eyes widened. Sam had surprised him, something she hadn't done often in the last few years. Inside the bag were two fully cooked chicken breasts, each nestled between pillowy, fluffy buns of freshly baked ciabatta bread. He could almost taste the juices of the sliced tomato snugly pressed into the poultry. The cut of the arugula almost brought him to tears placed intentionally as to protect the porous and absorbent bread from the moist tomato. His sandwich would stay firm and unmolested by the sogging decay until he was ready for it. That wasn't all, though. Sam had taken it upon herself to add in a container full of sliced and baked potato wedges. He could see the individual crystals of sodium chloride reflecting the light from above. His mouth began to salivate at the sight. Reaching in and moving aside the contents, he found one more treasure, anxiously waiting for its discovery. Larry looked up at Sam in amazement. "'You made cake?' he asked. Sam chuckled and moved aside so he could see the tray behind her. The large cake, coated delicately in a thin chocolate frosting, looked buoyant and moist, as if patiently waiting to be delicately consumed. "'When did you have time to make all of this?' "'Last night,' Sam replied. "'While you slept.' This must have taken you hours. Sam chuckled. It did. Larry couldn't see past the makeup, but he knew there had to be gray bags under her eyes. Did you sleep at all? He asked. A bit, 
she sighed, looking out the window wistfully. But I'll be okay. She took a big gulp of her coffee and smiled again. Larry felt like he was looking at Sam for the first time again. Her features glowed in the morning light, each inch complimenting the other. Even her flaws looked as though they augmented her beauty. Larry felt the deep reservoir of love inside of him he had thought ran dry years before, filled to the point of spilling. I'm not sure what you think I am, Larry said, but I know I took you for granted, and that changes today. Sam froze. The smile that had come so easy to her turned halfway into a frown of confusion. Come again? I said I've been taking you for granted, and that changes today. They stood there for a long moment. Larry became uncomfortable as the seconds dragged on, threatening to become a minute. Then, Sam began to laugh, almost hysterically. Did you say for granted? She choked out between fits of mirth. Larry looked surprised. Yes? Sam shrieked and began laughing even harder. She had to forcefully set her cup of coffee down as not to risk spilling any more of it. Granted, she stammered. It's taken for granted. Larry could see tears forming in her eyes. They ran down her face, staining it with makeup and revealing the gray under her eyes. Soon, her voice became high-pitched wheezing and low pig-like snorts. And here I thought I was marble. She screeched like a vulture at her own joke, and fresh tears replaced her spent ones. Sam doubled over, clutching her side and shaking. All right, Daniel, here's the, <laughs> here's the turn. Choose your own adventure. There are two endings to this story. Number one, the path of least resistance. Or number two, the path of change. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I, I almost want to, like, drop a save here and try both of them. But if that's not on the table, let's make it juicy. Let's go Path of Change. All right. I'm going to reread the last little bit and then go into the Path of Change. Okay. She screeched like a vulture at her own joke, and fresh tears replaced her spent ones. Sam doubled over, clutching her side and shaking. Larry looked on her, disgust filling his eyes. Reaching over, he grabbed a knife from its home in the wooden holder and stood up. Sam, he said. She raced up and looked at him, still trembling from her fit. She didn't see the swing of his arm as he plunged the knife deep into the side of her neck. Sam's eyes reflexively widened to their fullest. Her mouth fell open in confused terror. She tried to scream but barely managed to gurgle. Red mist sprayed onto Larry's arm, but he didn't take notice of it. He began to twist and saw with the knife, cutting and pulling against the flesh, muscle, and bones of her neck. It was hard work. The knife hadn't been sharpened once since purchasing it. But soon, he felt the resistance of her flesh give way. With a final tug, one hand holding her head by the hair, the other with the knife, Larry succeeded in separating Sam's head fully from her body. He placed her head down onto the kitchen counter and stared at the red stump, shooting a weak fountain of life out into nothing. Larry smiled. No, definitely not granite. Then he began to laugh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was a that was a big that was a huge tone shift. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was not I was not prepared for that. <laughs> you want the that, that was that was uh, that was like a like a, like what what is it called Doki Doki Literature Club style 
tone uh, tone shift from like cute cutesy domestic uh, stuff into like full on terror and violence. I, I felt like I had to do the snazzening in it. <laughs> that that does have a uh, snazzening vibes. Yeah. Do you want the path of least resistance? Sure. Let, let's let's have the path of least resistance. All right. Uh, once again, I will reread the last bit before going into path number one. She screeched like a vulture at her own joke, and fresh tears replaced her spent ones. Sam doubled over, clutching her side and shaking. Larry sighed. Are you done? Sam took a few deep breaths and sat back up, wiping her eyes and staining her fingers with the ruined makeup. She only hiccuped and nodded at him. So much for that, Larry muttered as he grabbed his lunch and left. Maybe that well wasn't as full as he thought it was. No, no happy endings there. <laughs> that's not that's not a sad ending. That's just him being like, "I love you," and her laughing at his stupid joke and him being or his stupid phrase and him being like, "Ah, yep, all right." <laughs> I know that's still pretty pessimistic. Uh, so, well. question: when the 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 gray the the gray that you're talking about is she actually? Well, she can't be made of marble because or granite because she she got her um she kind of got her head cut off. <laughs> what, the, the, that's the that's the, the gray eggs? bags under her eyes. Okay. From not okay. having slept. Gotcha. Wow. That that was uh that was quite a twist. That was a uh, a little bit of a little bit American Psycho in one and then a little bit um I don't know. American Beauty the, in the, the other. American Beauty. There we go. That's a good way to put it. It's uh I don't know. That was pretty good. That was I was I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. do you have a good sense for writing those like little domestic scenes. Uh can you tell that I'm a fan of King? It was very King. It was very King. Like I was I was I was kind of reminded me a little bit of like um I don't know. And and uh, what was the one I most recently read? So Pet Cemetery. Oh. Pet Cemetery. That was it it gave me like like the 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 conversation. I know you haven't read Pet Cemetery yet, but did you have you read uh, Salem's Lot? I, I don't. I, I I have not. I have it. It's on my bookshelf behind me, but I haven't read it yet. Gotcha. Yeah, it had it had a little bit of that King domesticness to it as well. Like yeah. when you're talking about those scenes. I should say uh, my serious writing is not that dark. Uh, this is very much. I I do this as a very tongue tongue in cheek kind of thing, as 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 morose as or morbid as that sounds. Uh, no, that that's not my serious writing. My serious writing does not devolve into such acts of depravity. Though maybe one day uh, I will uh, give a live reading of the aforementioned The Snazzening, because that was a really fun uh, short story I wrote over the course of, like, three hours on a Sunday, like, three years ago that I sent to you that I just... I, I, I had so much fun with it. I think I had, I had just gone on a binge of It, The Stand misery and the dark tower in like no particular order and i was just feeling very stephen king and i was like i want to write i want to write something that's just really out there and uh i'll 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 just say the premise of it for right for right now the premise of it is daniel and i and i have this coat uh it's the snazzy coat and this is the snazzening and Daniel wants the coat and will do whatever it takes to take it from me. That's the premise. 
Yeah, that that one was a wild ride. I'll, I'll be interested. Maybe maybe someday if there's enough interest, we can we can bust it out. Yeah, it was a fun one. But yeah, this was this was a this was a, a little idea that I had yesterday at work that I was like, it'd be really fun if maybe not necessarily every week, but every now and then we we kind of throw in a little quick. We wrote this this week. Uh, ideally, we won't give ourselves only one day of notice for it, maybe upwards of a week or so. But every now and then be like, hey, here's uh, a little wi- a writing prompt we gave each other. Here's a line. Uh, I already have the second line I want to give you in my head already. I came up with it last night. It's actually something I said last night while playing Zelda, and I was like, that's really funny. I need to use that as a prompt. Well, sounds good. We may be... Uh, yeah, I'll have to come up with another one, too. Yeah. So anyways, uh, once again, welcome to the Sad Boys Book Club. We're on to the book club section of this uh, now. Uh, We are reading Neuromancer by William Gibson. Yes. um, This is one that I've been... uh, When we first talked about having the book club, this is one of the ones that that most immediately sprang to mind as one that I wanted to do because um, I've always wanted to read this book. Um, it is, I mean, I would say it's probably the foundational text for, uh, cyberpunk, um, the cyberpunk genre. Um, and I mean, and also a lot of like, like, for example, the cyberpunk tabletop game slash, I guess, video game, cyberpunk 2077, um, they draw pretty heavily from this and uh, Blade Runner are basically the two origin points. I think you, you can trace just about everything back to back to those two. Yeah, I I was wondering how much of twenty seventy seven was uh, influenced, or if it was just a straight rip, rip or not not rip, but um a loose adaptation because one of the the place the place where we start in in this novel is Night City which is the location for Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah, that's something that I also uh noticed. Maybe I could run that down later um, cuz I, I I didn't uh but I definitely took strong notice of it while we were reading. Um I don't think that it's an adaptation of per se, but I do think it is pretty heavily influenced yeah doing uh doing some research for this book before uh before i got it i learned that um i might get this a little wrong because i just kind of gave this a cursory glance uh either there's a character in this because this is a trilogy of novels though i i don't know if they're completely connected in terms of like it we're following case across all three um I, I don't know. I, I don't know anything past what I've read. Um, but th- I think that at some point there's a character by the name of Johnny Mnemonic. And that character, and maybe the book, I, I don't know. Once again, I, I kind of gave this a cursory glance. Uh, was the ins- inspiration for the movie Johnny Mnemonic starting, starring Keanu Reeves. Which, if I remember correctly, was also partially influencing cyberpunk 2077 and one of the reasons why they pulled keanu reeves for that game too Huh. i could be wrong on that you know johnny uh mnemonic is is actually i did did you know that uh takeshi katano is in that movie i did not i have never seen the movie so all i know about it is that keanu reeves is in it okay what a what a killer uh, a killer cast okay so 
so you got uh, you got Keanu Reeves. Uh, you got the the William Gibson. Uh, it's a short story that he wrote. Actually, I think this. Okay, according to this, he wrote the short story in 1981, which predates the novel by I think three years. I think this this actually this book came out in 1984. But uh, uh, Keanu Reeves is in it. Takeshi Kitano, Dolph Lundgren, and Ice T. They're all they're all in this movie. That is pretty wild. And it's a tight 96 minutes. Yeah. If anybody is is not aware um, who Takeshi Kitano is, um, he did uh, Takeshi's Tower, right? Uh, I think so. I think that was that was him. I think he also Takeshi's Challenge. Or um, was that what it was called, Takeshi's Challenge? Yeah. That I, are, are you talking about the uh, the the show? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was Takeshi's challenge. Uh, he was also in. Uh, oh, it's Takeshi's castle. Did I say tower? Uh, yeah, and I said challenge. So we're both wrong. I, yeah, it was it was Takeshi's castle, but he was he was in more famously in in um, uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, um, which is very well regarded. Also has David Bowie. Um, he was in a lot of very well regarded Japanese uh, movies. Um, he was also in Battle Royale, which is probably one of the more well-known Japanese movies, just of all. I haven't seen he's, it, but I've heard it's really good. He's he's a great actor, and he was also in Yakuza Six. Um, what great great performance in that as well. Yeah. Which, you know, one of my favorite uh, game series of all time. Yeah, and um, if if anybody grew up in the in the early to mid 2000s and watch spike tv you might remember a, a tv show called most extreme elimination challenge or mxc which was a really poorly dubbed uh satire of takeshi's castle uh so you might remember um oh god what were the hosts names it was um ken or kenny i i can't remember it was the the the, the co- comedic relief one i forgot what the main host's name was in mxc but that was uh uh, Takeshi Kitano was that host. Oh, I actually never saw the. Uh, I actually never saw the. Uh, the that's that uh, show. Yeah, it was hilarious. I I loved it back when it was on. This this was back in Spike TV. Just to give you a real frame of reference on how long ago this was. Good good time. Good long while ago. Yeah. So there's there's our our little uh, tangent for now about. Uh, that i we should maybe watch uh johnny mnemonic sometime i've heard it is not a good movie but uh i'm curious i i think i would i would like us to um and this is like kind of a maybe a long run goal i don't know if that's uh this is something that maybe people would be interested in in uh learning or or in in do in us doing but i i, I wouldn't mind doing um uh, film adaptations of the books that we've that we're covering here, or like possibly TV show adaptations. We'd have to we'd have to be uh, selective about how we did it, but that would be like a Johnny uh, Mnemonic would be would be great for uh, for this book particular. I don't think this this uh, book has received any uh, other adaptations. Uh, so I have a question for you, Daniel. What's up? Is our main character's name Case? You know, 
I don't think so. I think they're going for like a a very a very avant garde thing. They don't they don't ever they they don't use his name or or something. I think that's the vibe I get. You know, Daniel. I think you're right, Daniel. Maybe Daniel. They don't say his name too much, Daniel. But I'm not sure, Daniel. You know, Dusty. It's just the way Dusty things are. Sometimes, Dusty, when you're writing these things and you have to go on for a while, you need to remind the audience, Dusty, who you are talking to. And so, Dusty, you need to work in the name of the character, you know, just to keep the flow of dialogue going. Does that make sense, Dusty? Yeah. (laughs) So, for context, um, almost every sentence spoken to uh to case in this book seems to have somebody saying his name in it and it i it, it, i don't want to sound critical but it's it, it just it, it's so weird to me so many times like molly will be talking to him and she just says his name in like every sentence and i'm like we get it your name's case come on <laughs> It's uh you know it's it's one of those things where it's kind of interesting where where you uh, that you mentioned that because it's just you know I, after thinking about it I don't think they it's not like when he's talking to other people he's not like hey Molly what are we going to do Molly you know it just it's it's just like it, it, like they'll introduce it in the like the first time they talk to them. And then maybe they'll use it as, like, um, to say, like, who was saying things like that Molly said or, you know, whatever Lucy said, you know, or not Lucy, Linda, you know, that that kind of stuff. Um, But but people just really like saying case. And, you know, I got to say, it is kind of cool. It's like, hey, case, you know, it just it just it kind of it kind of has a little bit of a flow to it. Yeah, he's only in the first chapter, but I feel like a similar thing was done with wage, too. Yeah, I think it's just, I think he just, I just, uh, I think William Gibson just really liked those names. Yeah. Um, so we read the first six chapters of this book. I was so lost in the first chapter and I think the third chapter as well. Maybe this is just me not having great reading comprehension but and also maybe it's because I was really tired um it feels like a lot of this book so far not necessarily it being a an unreliable narrator or something like that but it almost it's hard for me to to kind of find out sometimes whether things are a flashback or the present or real or not like the scene with Linda dying was so all over the place that I was really lost reading it. I I, I got I think I, I grasped what happened because Molly does kind of explain what happened at the at the end of that scene, but like I it it's so because they're at this they're at the I I know I'm jumping way ahead here, but they're at this this underground fighting pit for some reason. And he goes to go get him and Molly food, and then he sees Linda, maybe, but yes, but maybe, and then he drops everything to follow her, but then she's dead, and then there's a a, a kid trying to kill him, and then Molly, I'm assuming, just unloads on them with a machine pistol or something like that, 
and then the fight that they were watching is over and they just kind of leave but then she's dead and i'm like what is going on right now <laughs> i think that's that's partially by design at least i think you're supposed to be it's supposed to be like uh, overstimulating to a certain extent you know yeah and then the first chapter takes place over is it one night the entire the entire chapter is like one night i think so i that, that sounds right and it's like he goes to the bar. Oh god, what was the bartender's name? Was it Rats? Rats. Yeah. He was in uh, Chet. I think it's called Chetsubo or something like that. Yeah, and he goes there, and then uh, oh god, uh, I'm, I'm, I please correct me if I'm getting some details wrong because I, I was really tired when I read this. But I was like, I gotta read. I gotta get started. I probably shouldn't have done this, but I did it. Uh, I read it while it was tired. While I was tired, and I figured it's the first chapter. It can't be that long. It's like twenty fucking pages long, and it's eleven thirty, <laughs> and I have to wake up at six thirty for work. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, so he's talking to rats, and then at at some point he he meets with Linda, who wants money from him, and she's like, hey, you know, Wade just trying to kill you, and he's like, oh, that's bad. So then he goes to talk to some. Uh, is it a, a Korean street vendor guy? And he's like, hey, I need a gun. And the guy's like, two hours, man. And then he goes home, I think. And then he comes back and gets the gun. And then well, he goes back to the bar. Am, am I getting this right or am I way off here? That's basically right but let's let's slow it down let's 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 try to take it beat by beat and maybe maybe we'll make more sense of it so so the novel starts with a very the iconic line uh let me flip to it (laughs) i know it's iconic because i had a a foreword from william gibson in 2004 where he told me that it was iconic the sky above the port was the the color of television no let me try again the sky above the port was the color of television tuned to a dead channel. Uh, now, now I think a lot of uh, that, that's that's maybe a little bit lost to time with the uh, the advent of like digital TV and cable TV and like the basically and and the fact and the and the, the Zoomers and late millennials that basically do not watch TV, um, but you know it, it kind of captures like the sort of like gray twilight um, that. Uh, that the the city that that he is in Chiba, which I think is uh, I don't think it's 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 in Tokyo. I think it's like a I don't want to call it a suburb because it's pretty big in its own right, but it's it's pretty close. It's kind of like district? A, I don't think it's a district either. It's, I think it's its own thing. It's it reminds me of like a, like a, the Twin Cities up in Minnesota, that kind of situation, or like Dallas Fort Worth in Texas, or like. Like New York, Newark, in, in you know, like one one of those kind of places, San Francisco, Oakland, you know, that that kind of thing. Maybe not quite to that extent, but the same same vibe, right? And so so there he's in the bar, and it's it's like this. Um, so any oh sorry, I, I should finish my thought about the sky. So the it it's it it kind of captures that sort of like gray, um, the sort of like the the the, the light to medium intermittent gray that you would get when you would change to a change the TV to a channel that did you didn't have signal for and uh, I think that's that was very powerful in, in like in and of itself to kind of set this this world up of like it's night but there's so much light there's so much going on there's so much sensory overload that 
we don't have true dark anymore. So I don't. I, I found that to be a very interesting and, and compelling image. But uh, the, the the plot opens with Case um, at at the Chatsubo, which was uh, one of the, which was an expat bar. Um, not not too many locals. He goes through and he t- and talks about a lot of people. Um, it's kind of interesting because you see already in this this book, nineteen eighty took uh, it was written in nineteen eighty four. It kind of prefigures this idea of like Japan as the sort of like um, place that's really popular with like travelers and expats. Um, I'm not sure that it was like that as big a deal in in at that point. I, but I because the country itself. Uh, was was really coming into prominence in that moment um, due to their you know their booming economy uh, fueled a, a lot by their uh, their their electronics, which is something that we kind of see throughout the album. As you see, or not the album, the book. I don't know what's wrong with me. The, there's there's a lot of like Japanese made products that you you see kind of like uh, layered in there, and he meets uh, a bartender named Rats. Uh, maybe rats. I don't know. I, I the reason I I choose to say rats is because it's. I think he was Russian. They were talking about his. He has a prosthetic, um, military prosthetic arm, um, and uh, so I, I I I guess he rats would be closer to like a more uh, Russian pronunciation, but I don't know. And he they the rats is ask or uh, <laughs> then I say that and go right to rats. He asks him about uh, his business with Cage, or with Wage, who is, uh, he was, a, he's uh, one of the people that uh, Case works for. He's, he's a, like a, a black market type of guy, you know, who does the stuff of like, um, you know, like, uh, like underground medical treatments, that kind of thing. And that's kind of like a through line that we see throughout uh, Chiba, right? That's, in fact, why Case is in Chiba. Um, it's, it's like... The surgery capital of the world, in essence, like he's he, like he talks about he he came here looking to to get a certain kind of surgery uh, to repair an issue with his brain that he sustained while uh, performing some sort of criminal um, enterprise with some guy. Uh, so he's he I think that that it happened like he he tried to like double cross the the guy he was working for and. Um, Basically, he got hit with like this this toxin that made it so that he could not navigate cyberspace anymore. And I think this is really the first time that we see like cyberspace as the concept. Like that, like that's that's a pretty common trope. Like now, like you you know you've seen things like Tron, uh, like The Matrix, like um, Cyberpunk, for example. Like these, these create this like digital world where it's like there is like there there are constructs that are created um, out of the data, but are interpreted by the person who is in cyberspace as concrete objects, that kind of thing. So anyway, in case was like a he was like a real hotshot. I think they called him like a cowboy or something like that. Anyway, he was he was really into uh, he was really into a console cowboy. That's what it's called. And so he was he was really into the the internet. And he seems to that seems to be kind of his whole deal. Like he he talks about he makes several several comments. Like he refers to himself as being like in a prison of flesh. Like he seems to have like a um, 
a, a, a difficult relationship with himself outside of the digital digitalized medium. Like the, the, he seems to uh, almost like be addicted to or prefer being within the digital realm rather than uh, the physical realm, which is kind of interesting and in a lot of ways is very prescient. I thought of Gibson. Yeah, the um, uh, on that the the writing as a whole is um, man, uh, this is not a genre that I am normally accustomed to. Not not through a lack of interest, just a lack of I guess entry points for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's uh, one of the biggest things I've noticed in this is the the techno babble. Yeah, and a lot of it goes over my head. Uh, but it, 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 it sounds like it makes sense. So I'm just kind of there for it. Like, I'm like, sure, absolutely. Do those neo diatrobes into your forehead with the things. Yeah. <laughs> Which one thing I found really funny. I don't remember. I, I don't remember. Of course I don't remember. I don't know when, um, terms like, gigabyte and terabyte and zettabyte and all that came into the the general techno lexicon because i imagine it was before i was born uh i do know that the term giga in terms of like gigabyte or gigawatt or whatever uh i know it definitely was not in popular circulation by 1985 because of back to the future and them calling it a gigawatt uh because they that was just a foreign term to them and they didn't know it was gigawatt and not gigawatt. So I know at the very least in 1985 that that wasn't really fully into, into the lexicon, but I found it really funny when we were reading, I I forgot at what point it was in the, in this book, but there's a, there's a part where he's talking about like how many things of space something has or how many like things he can look through. And he says millions of megabytes and I, I did, that just gave me a good chuckle because millions of megabytes to us now would be like what, just like ter- terabytes? We just call it say terabytes or something. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's that's kind of been, that was an interesting thing. We we live in the sci-fi future insofar as there are like terabytes and like everybody. Well, I shouldn't say everybody, but it it is very it is not com- it is not uncommon at all for people to have some sort of storage device, whether that's like they're they're their laptops, their desktops, like their for their work or whatever, their school, or like like a PlayStation has like just just a, a game console has like a terabyte in it. At least uh, the standard one I think does. So it's it's just kind of inter- It was very interesting in that respect. I think like at the time, like something like twenty megabyte was considered like really cool and high end. It's like wow, how am I ever going to use up all that space? Meanwhile, we're recording a podcast that would blow th- blow through that like like ten twenty times over. <laughs> yeah, and even looking at um, technology in our lifetime and how it's grown, even um, looking at uh, for our childhood, a PlayStation Two memory card was an eight megabyte memory card, and that was so much for me. Because the PlayStation 1, you only had 15 slots. I don't remember exactly how many, how, how big the memory card was. I want to say it was maybe a couple hundred kilobytes. I, I, I honestly don't know. 
but you only had like 15 slots on a PlayStation memory card. And you better hope that that game you had did not take up two slots like most RPGs did, like Final Fantasy. Otherwise, there's two slots gone. And then you get to the PlayStation 2 and you had the 8 megabytes. And you're like, oh my god, 8 megabytes, that's so many. I can fit so many games on my memory card. And then even <laughs> going from the PlayStation 2 to the PlayStation 3, we went, from, we went from a storage system being 8 megabytes to, I think the smallest one was 20 gigabytes. And that was just an insane jump. And we had, even now to this day, to today, I think my my save file for like God of War Ragnarok on my PlayStation 5 is like 100 megabytes or something like that, or maybe even higher. Just the save file for it. Yeah, I was just thinking of like, I think that's about the same, like 135 or so. That's, that, that's I think, what it is on um, Cyberpunk, for example. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid playing Grand Theft Auto 3, and that game took up over 1,000 kilobytes on my on my memory card, my PS2 memory card, and I was like, that's over an eighth of my entire storage space for this one game. That's insane, because most games, they would cap out around 100, 200 megabytes, uh, or sorry, kilobytes, rather, for, for a save file, and Grand Theft Auto 3 was a whopping 1,000, and now we have games that are... 300 times that size with save files up to so yeah technology's insane even just in our lifetime alone so I can't even imagine how it would be for someone like William Gibson who wrote this book in the 80s that was supposed to be this this look at the look at the future look at how technology's going to be with with all of these things look at our millions and millions and millions of megabytes and all this and all that and when you look at, at technology today and I, I think one of the one of the best examples of, of, of that kind of snapshot of idea of what the future is is Back to the Future Part Two because you know they go they go forward to 2015, which at this mm-hmm. point is eight years in the past for us, which is just really funny. And you know you got flying cars, hoverboards. What was it like Jaws 17 in 3D or something like that at the movie theater? Yeah. Uh, God, yeah, self was... self tying laces from Nike. <laughs> I don't know. I still think those would be pretty cool. They made some. They gave they gave a pair to uh, to Michael J. Fox in in 2015. They made some specifically like for him and maybe a couple of others for other people. But so technology does exist, but it's probably not worth the cost right now. But I still thought that was really cool when that when that happened. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Once again, I think as has happened many times uh, over the course of us doing this, I don't really know what my point is. But technology's cool, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, you're like the guy at the beginning of every Pokemon game that's like, "Hey, technology's so cool," and then they usually uses it to like promote some feature of like the game. Like, this is technology so cool you can connect with your friends online. You know that stuff like that. Hey, I got this cool device that uh, that uh, I didn't have when I was a little whippersnapper like you. Do you want to see my pictures of Vaporeon? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> No, if any if any adult tries to ask ask you to look at pictures of a vaporine, you need to turn, run, and get the heck out of there. Anyways, back look, to uh, back to uh, what's this book? Neuromancer. Back to back to Neuromancer. I completely so, lost the plot here. So C- Case is in is still in the bar. Uh, he's he's talking with Rots, and he says that he saw uh, his girl um, Linda Lee. Uh, 
I think I, Linda Lee is is well. We can we can get into that here in just a second. But but I, what's important is that how Case responds, and he's like he's no he doesn't he doesn't have a girl. So so you can see like whatever. This, so there's this this perception of like he and Linda are are this uh, romantic item, and then we can see that they've kind of fallen out. Um, and so he's he's leaving, and as he's leaving, he kind of has like thinks about his life a little bit, and it, we it's kind of a, a moment. That Gibson uses to kind of introduce the character of Case a little bit more. He's he's talking about. I think he says that he's twenty four. I want to say he was twenty four. I, so. I think you're right. And um, but he's already been in this line of work as as a quote console cowboy for quite a while. Um, it, it, he makes it seem like he's been doing it for many years. Um, so he. And this is, I think, where they introduce the idea of uh, like he he got uh, he got burned uh, trying to to rip off one of his one of his employers, and they infected him with some sort of like mushroom toxin that destroyed part of his brain and uh, or his nervous system, and that he is not able to hook his brain up to the matrix anymore. Um, oh yeah, here's the here's where he talks about this is a very very interesting passage here where he talks about. Uh, he refers to his event, or the event of his, um, like, lo- losing his ability to connect to the internet as, he describes it as the fall, which is, like, a very interesting and very loaded term. It's, like, this um, almost, like, being cast out of the Garden of Eden kind of situation. Uh, and he also he also uh, talks about... Um, Okay, so for Case, who would live in the bodiless exaltation of cyberspace, it was the fall. In the bars he'd frequented as a cowboy hotshot, the elite stance involved in certain relaxed, uh, the elite stance involved a certain relaxed contempt for the flesh. The body was meat. Case felt into to the prison of his own flesh. So it's th- this is kind of where we get into like this idea of like um like. I don't know cyberspace and like his his ad- addiction to the internet. Um, this man is a forum. As he's he's a he's a true forum poster. Uh, so, I think I think that's kind of an interesting interesting thing there. So he's he's kind of he's walking around um, this this district called Ninse, which is I think a, a, a district in in Chiba. He's kind of like walking around. He's kind of musing on life. Like he's, uh, he's 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 kind of fallen into this uh, sort of like drug addiction and this sort of criminal underworld element. Um, because that because he he did originally came to Chiba with like with some money to try to find somebody who could work on work on him and find a cure for his um, internet allergy. His his newfound internet allergy, but uh, but uh, to the to this point in the story, he's not been able to find anybody, uh, and money's run tight. So now he's basically he's he's hooked on he's hooked on these things called I think they're octagons, which is it's interesting that he trades his addiction from like internet browsing um, to to, to uh, actual drug addiction. I think so. I think that's kind of interesting. Um, see, he, he basically has a very fatalist kind of mindset. He, he describes himself as being on more or less an arc of self-destruction. 
And uh, he's talks about that he's kind of gotten sloppy in his his criminal dealings, basically, in a in a subconscious way to just kind of like, to kill himself. Right? He's I don't think he's he he cares about life anymore. Um, and he talks then that's that's when he uh, he thinks he he's he's still thinking about Linda Lee after he talks after he talked to the. Um, the rots guy in the bar and uh they kind of he kind of walks away and he he, remi- he remembers when he met her in an arcade and how they you know how they they kind of met and they 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 had this in- initial connection and um unfortunately like it it didn't things have not really worked out for her because you know as as she kind of got involved with him um she she kind of fell into the similar patterns of of a drug addiction as he did and um i don't know it's that was that was pretty sad they had this he had this very um very tragic way of putting it let me see if i can find it real quick okay here we go it took a month for the gestalt of drugs and tension he moved through to turn those perpetually startled eyes into wells of reflexive need he'd watched her personality fragment Calving like an iceberg, splinters drifting away, and finally, he'd seen the raw need, the hungry armature of addiction. He'd watch her track the next hit with a concentration that reminded him of the mantises that they sold in stalls along Shiga, beside uh, tanks of blue mutant carp and crickets caged in bamboo. So all in all, pretty pretty bad boyfriend, I would say. Um, uh, you, you get someone, you get your romantic partner hooked on drugs, that's... Um, Really, really scummy behavior, and I'll leave it at that. Um, but anyway, he's he's in the present moment. In the present moment, he f- sees Linda Lee again, who uh, who she comes up to him, and she's kind of like she kind of hits him with with a uh, real heads will will know the 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 pain of like, hey case good buddy, the 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 good buddy when you're getting the the. The, the true the, that kind of greeting from a perspective or former romantic partner partner especially when you're not over them can that that can that can sting you a little bit yeah it is the romantic kiss of death yeah uh, but uh, anyway he 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 meets her and she's uh she's they, they talk a little bit she kind of shows some residual concern from him but she's like she says you sleep in okay case you look tired and uh, so we can kind of see that he is basically at at one of at his low point. He's he's um, I'm sure a lot of people have have known people with substance abuse problems. He, he kind of has that sort of um, you know addiction sort of pallor, a little bit of like the 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 gray face, the, the exhausted look, that kind of stuff. Anyway, after after some little uh, some little trivialities. She says uh, that Wage wants to meet her, uh, or wants to meet him. So, Wage, she said, narrowing her eyes. He wants to see you with a hole in your face. So, so she's she's basically um, she's basically delivering this message to to him that uh, he needs to look at. And I think that's something that uh, him and 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 Rots had talked about a little bit. Um, to the, like this idea that he's being hunted, so it creates this this vibe of like uh, paranoia and um, intention. Anyway, she she kind of like shows like a little bit of concern for him, but it's pretty clear that she's also doing 
pretty bad. She's pretty bad. She she looks like she she needs a fix. And so he he gives her he gives her some money to go get that. Um she tries to to demure and and to to let him keep it, but he's like, "No, I I owe him a lot more money than this. It's not going to it's not going to be um you know, it's not not a big deal." And so they they kind of he gives her uh he gives her the money and she eventually just kind of takes it. And then they they kind of part. And that's pretty much the last we see of Linda Lee. Until we see her as a corpse, uh, or a soon-to-be corpse, um, a few chapters hence. So he's he's walking through Night City. Um, he's he 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 uh, he feels like he's on he's going to be hunted down. So he tries to um, he talk he tries to talk to a guy named Julius Dean, who is a um, who is a who is a, a smuggler that he also has business ties with. Who's like crazy old he's like 135 years old but like he's he's doing like all kinds of serums and surgery and he probably has like a blood boy or something on the side you know some some kind of crazy situation so he's like 135 but he he looks like he's like like fairly early middle age um so he, he talks to him and there's there's this little exchange that you know it isn't always easy to know who your friends are and um so it, that that's that's another kind of like theme right that we we see not just in this book in particular but cyberpunk and also cyberpunk the the um tabletop and the video games and all that so they they talk about it and then he you know he's trying to get intel on what wage wants but wage because julie works with wage he doesn't he's not able to tell him much so, you know, there's a little bit of the back and forth. It's all just kind of, if you're very, if you've ever read any, like, uh, especially, like, noir, Raymond Chandler-style fiction, there's a lot of scenes like that where there's just, like, a little bit of, like, two guys, like, playing cagey with each other and having these conversations. And maybe not a lot happens in the in the moment-to-moment sometimes. And I can imagine some people finding that frustrating or feeling like there is a, a waste but that, but it, it really what it, it does is a great job of uh, establishing atmosphere, uh, and of like creating something that usually down the line is going to result in something. So it's I, I thought that was very interesting and, and very uh, indicative of the debt that this owes to like Raymond Chandler and that kind of that kind of stuff. But anyway, he's he's uh, he he walks out of there and he realizes he's he's got a tail on him. And so he he sees he sees the tail and he tries to uh, go rent a gun and that's what Dusty was talking about where when when the, he he went to the uh, went to the guy and he asks him to uh, to take a to try to rent a gun doesn't he's not able to get it for two hours um, so what he he does he he gets like a this improvised like spring loaded weapon which is kind of which he calls like Cobra I guess. Um, so he's, he's, uh, he goes and he's, he's looking for Wage and he, he can't, he can't find him. And then until he's, he feels like he's being followed again. So he, he runs into this building, um, and he tries to like tell one of the people that, uh, that work there that he's being followed or that to call for security. And so they, he kind of, he, he runs through the building and then kind of like back out into an alley. And then he, um... He he pulls out he he pulls out the the cobra 
and he he doesn't he he throws it away and then he comes back and gets his gun. So basically, he just he has a freak out and and uh, nothing nothing seriously happens. Um, then he 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 was able to get his. I think he went back and got his gun, right? Yeah, I think so. Because yeah, he does eventually bring it back and he has to, he goes and gets his deposit back after his encounter with Wage. Okay. And then he goes to what he calls a coffin, which I imagine is like one of those like capsule. St- well, I don't know, maybe like one of those capsule style hotels, something like that that they have in Japan. Yeah, I took it as I, mean, I might be wrong here, but I took it as slang for for what he basically called, or or maybe what the common slang use for what their apartment rooms are or hotel rooms or whatever because he's staying at the place it's called what cheap hotel or cheap motel or something like that something like i think it's cheap hotel i think i think you might be right it, it might be slightly bigger than just like a like a capsule hotel i think it's it might be just like a small rented room uh anyway he's trying to uh so he tries he tries to get back and he tries to find his uh his computer and he's trying to uh, to sell sell the RAM in the computer because he's tra- he's trying to fence it to save to to get some money to pay off uh, wage. And uh, he so he's he's trying to do that, and he goes back to uh, the the bar. Yeah, he goes back to the bar, and uh, he's like talking to to, to rats or what rats rat I, I I don't know uh, I think and. Man, chapter one was such a blur for me. Uh, Wage comes in, and he's like, yo, what are you doing trying to kill me, man? And Wage is just like, what are you talking about? What? No. No. And that, I, I feel like that whole exchange just kind of happens. And Rat, uh, Rats is, he, he is defending Case, so he pulls a gun, I think. And starts threatening Wage as well, but more so in a my bar my rules kind of way and yeah. everything is relatively copacetic and no real incident happens and case and wage kind of work it out because he wasn't trying to kill him which is really weird because why did linda bring up the fact that he was trying to kill case but then he wasn't trying to kill case so what was linda doing i don't know i don't think we're ever really told that's a weird thing that happened uh do you i I, i'll tell you i'll tell you why stirring the pot because because she was trying to get him get him out and just get him spooked so she could break into his his room and steal the ram Oh, that's right. Do you remember he, that? He goes back and his, his place is ransacked, right? And that's when he finds Molly, right? Yeah, yeah. He he's he finds Molly there, but he, he realizes before that that Linda stole the RAM in his computer and he understands he knows what's what's gonna happen with all that. Um, uh, but that's Oh, go ahead. I, I must have missed that. Like I, 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 I made a mistake when I started this book. I should have been more awake when I started it. So chapter one was a real blur for me. So I missed that with the with the ram thing. Is that is that basically it for chapter one? He he goes back to his apartment. Yeah, that's stolen. He, he meets Molly. He sees he's yeah. He meets Molly, who is like this. Um, they refer to her as kind of like a a razor girl, and she's like this. Um, she's like this assassin, like uh, lady. She's got like razor blades, like that are retractable that can come out of her hands. 
She she got the Wolverine drip. She has like cool sunglasses. She wears like like cool black leather stuff. So basically, just just picture in your head for Molly like really cool cyberpunk lady. That you you're basically there. And so she he thought he thinks that he goes back to the whole wage thing and he's like oh you're here to work for wage but she's like no that's that's not it I don't work for wage and that she's here to pick him up uh, for his she's here to bring him back to her employer. That that's basically where it ends. Yeah, uh, and just just to move a little quickly because we, we, we were on chapter one for a long time. Uh, to move a little quickly, uh, he meets her boss whose name is Armitage, right? Yeah, and he's this uh, clearly clearly a veteran of something. I think he says it's like special forces or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he was part of this. Uh, this operation that went bad, or so he says. Um, oh God, uh, I really should have. I, I should take notes like you, because I'm. I'm. I get things like this little little wonky. What was it called? Something fist. The operation. Wasn't it blazing fists? So, something like that. And apparently there were like no survivors, but there were. There was a squad that actually made it out, and and apparently Armitage was part of that. And he wants Case to basically be his end guy because he is putting together a crew as it goes um granted that crew is really just the three of them and he wants he wants case to be his guy his his console cowboy to uh get this thing that we haven't revealed yet and he has case go through the surgery that repairs the damage that was done to him by that rival gang and streaming fest Sorry, I just I just remembered it was called Screaming Fist. Okay, I thought it was something starting with an S. Uh, so yeah, Screaming Fist was the name of the uh, the operation or whatever. And so he gets he gets cases uh, bad neuro damage repaired. And um, here's a here's a weird thing that I, I, I if, if this really came out of nowhere for me. Um, Case and Molly get together, and they're I guess not necessarily a couple. But um, they are, at the very least, associates with benefits right now. And she's, she's living with him. They're having sex a lot. And they're spending basically all of their time together. And that happened, I guess, suddenly. And it, it really felt like it came out of nowhere to me. Because it's, it's, it, it kind of, if I remember correctly, it, it's, he kind of loses time. I think this was I think this was immediately after the surgery. It could have been I could be mixing this up with something else. But he like loses time and he's he's like kind of in a haze of like recovery where he doesn't quite remember everything, I guess because of the drugs. And he's laying in bed with her and she's at least half naked. And then they just kind of have sex after she starts giving him a massage and that's just how we're introduced to the fact that they're not really a, an item, but they're at least associating to put it one way and it's like uh, all right sure i guess i think i it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of and, and i i apologize for all of our non-video game playing um listeners and viewers but uh it reminds me a little bit of miranda right she kind of has like because i think that's that's how she knows him so well and that's they talk a little bit about how he's like he feels like he she knows him so well and he, i think he, basically she has like a psych profile and like all this stuff worked up on him i think i think it's just that's kind of how that 
works, I guess, at least within her context. Like she's she's very I don't know. She may I guess she she liked what she saw in his profile and is like, "Okay, well now now we're now we're a thing." Yeah, sometimes sex is just sex. I mean, you know. That's true. Sometimes you're just flaring blue in the timeless vast space, a vastness like the matrix where faces were shredded and blown away down hurricane corridors. You know. Exactly. So I hate when I'm in that situation, but what can you do? But yeah, I don't, I don't get at least at this point, I don't get any love or or infatuation between the two of them. I, I they seem friendly, and I do think that they uh, at least superficially care about each other at this point, if not because of uh, they they're they're useful to each other kind of way. So I don't think yeah. this is at this point in time. A budding relationship. I think this is just two adults bumping uglies because it's something to do, and they both enjoy feeling good. So, all right, it just kind of happened. Cool, whatever. But um, oh god. Uh, so I, goes to talk to Julie. Yeah, they go. They go to go see Julie because they're going to be leaving Japan and heading back to. Uh, I, I. They end up. Their final goal is Boston, right? Uh, Boston slash Atlanta. Yeah. It's it's all basically one thing, apparently, now. Yeah, you can take the tube from Boston to Manhattan and get there in totally fine time, so, sure. Uh, they go see, uh, Julie again, and, uh, he's not really trustful of, of Case because of Molly, and, uh... Case is able to convince Molly to just, you know, hang back, don't, like, let me go in alone and all that... And uh, the final interaction with Julie was was kind of interesting to me because he pulls a gun on Case, and it's it's more of a he's like you know nothing personal. This is just procedure. Because uh, what, what's he doing? He's like having he's like testing his like what what was done to him or something. Well, I, what what he's asking about is stuff like like he tries to get get information about Armitage, or Armitage, however you'd say it, and then and then things about Operation Screaming Fist. And like how it's it, that's that's where we learn about that kind of stuff. And it's he's Julie is not able to help him with any information about Armitage or Armitage. We need to pick one. And then and then um, we kind of get the background of Screaming Fist, which was like some sort of like ill-fated um, like American attack on Russian on some sort of Russian defenses. Where there was like the the acknowledgement from this the part of the government like they were sending people to die, um, but they were uh, they were basically they, they had no chance to uh, to survive, but they were doing it to test some sort of weapons or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that's that's basically that for for this area. He goes and he I guess he got some money from them. Uh, and he pays off his debts to wage and all that. He basically ties up all of his loose ends in in um in Chiba, and then they leave. And there's kind of a blur of travel to where the things happened. But I mean, I don't know what happened. Says Case as he's suddenly in Boston, and I was in Paris. Uh, I bought clothing, I think, I guess, because I have new clothing. And I think I think well you're you're missing the 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 part that you talked about the fight scene. Oh yeah, they yeah, going yeah. To the fight. Oh, I totally skipped past that. Uh, yeah, they go. Yeah, Molly takes him to this underground fighting pit. This is while they're still in Chiba, and this is where the whole incident occurs, where where Linda dies, 
and uh, we did we went into it earlier. Um, uh, it happened. I I don't know. It happened. I I just I really just don't know what to make of that. Well, what what happened was she was trying to fence. Okay, so Linda, Linda, she was she was trying to uh, to fence the ram. That's why when she bumped into uh, Case at the fight, she ran away from him because she she had she had stolen his ram, and then she was running away, and uh, that's that's when so that she runs and she kind of gets lost in the crowd. And um, that's when he he runs into the. Uh, let's see, that's when he he the, the kid trips him and tries to kill him. So so like basically he goes he like he goes to go get like nachos and a soda equivalent at, at this underground like fight where these guys are like literally fighting to the de- the death trying to kill each other with knives. And he goes you know he's 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 trying to go get his snack on. He he he. He's basically uh, just rushes. like, "Hey, baby, you want a hot dog and a brew?" Basically, and then he, he bumps into Linda, who who realizes, "Oh crap! I have I have his stolen RAM and, and programs and stuff on me." So she runs, and he he because he he still has his residual feelings for Linda. He's like, "Well, that's weird," and he, he tries to go after her when this kid comes out of nowhere and tries to kill him, like an actual child. Like a little demon child tries to like stab him, but then Molly, I guess she was wondering like, where, where's so where's Casey? He's taking he's taking a long time to come back with the nachos. Where's she my chicken on a it, stick? The, damn it! Oh, that's right. She that's true. That, that, that she was getting yakitori. You know, some, some like like should, like correct for their um correct for their uh, cultural milieu, and uh, so she comes up with like this little gun that shoots like. Like it's called a Fletcher. It shoots like all kinds of things. I think it can shoot like darts and bullets. It's it's like a multi-purpose gun. So she comes up and she airs out the kid. Like he's 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 dying, and then he's and then um, Case is talking to her, and you know he's he's still looking for for Linda. I I I, I wish I could go. I probably should go back because I don't know why he separated from from Molly after she killed that kid. Maybe she was he was just trying to look for Linda. And uh, he um, he runs back into her, and she says, um, "Friends of your tight friend killed your girl for you." So it was, and and th- that was how how um, how um, Case had referred to Julie earlier. As he referred to him as a tight friend, and it turns out so what happened was Linda was trying to meet either. Julie or his agents, like at at the fight, to fence his stolen uh, ram, and they decided it would just be easier to kill her, and then just pay for it. So they just they kill her, and uh, that's it, really. That's the end of chapter two. That's the end of end of Linda Lee. Yeah, and that's so strange to me because as I read the scene. I could be reading it wrong because I apparently have read some of this book wrong because I I'm going I, I have such a weird mindset going into this book uh, and I think it's affecting my comprehension of it. This is a me problem, not not a book problem. Uh, I it doesn't feel like anything happened about Molly murdering these people or Linda being murdered. It's very much just a 
it, it's it's just a thing that just kind of happened, and I guess that's just a business as usual thing, and nobody really cared because there was no consequence, there was no fallout. It was, it was they have they had the little thing where she was like, uh, "Friends of your tight friends had her killed." By the way, the fight's over. Let's go. And yeah, that, that's, that's one of the things that they meant. That's kind of indicative of well, not indicative. That's one of the things that's um, about this particular experience in Chiba is like there's a lot of like death and criminality that that goes almost completely unremarked upon like I think Case even mentions in passing that he's killed like three people yeah he's killed he's killed people for drugs or something like that like it's like man this is not an endearing main character is it no it's it's pretty it's it's all pretty pretty scummy world yeah um it is night city <laughs> It, it really, it really does have Night City vibes. Yeah. Uh, so, so they they get to uh, th- th- that's what now we're at where you were talking about where they went to like Amsterdam and Paris and all that. Yeah. And uh, he receives a gift from Molly the the paper wrapped shuriken. Yeah. The, 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 which is something he was looking at at a store in um, in Chiba before he uh, before he was able to get a hold of the gun. Yeah, and so now they're uh, we we kind of get the plan what the plan is with with Armitage and what this is supposed to be. Uh, so the general idea of it is Case was trained by this guy um, named McCoy Polly. That's who he, who he was trained to be a uh, a cowboy for, and he has uh, they called it a, um, a what was it a what flatline. Um, it's called a dead flatline. I think I think I think they just called it a flatline. So there's this thing called a flatline, which is, as I understand it, someone's skills and consciousness uploaded as an AI onto an object. Is that like something that you can jack into? Does that sound about right to you? I'm gonna be honest. I am completely lost. I don't know what you're talking about at all. Oh. That complicates things. So as I understand it, it's it's basically like a um it's almost like a uh like a mimetic clone of a person. Are you talking about a construct? Yes. Okay, so you're you're talking about when they talk to that that guy the Finn. No, right. I'm, I'm talking so, about like, what, they're, like, what they're trying to steal from the the, the, the the place. The what was it called? Nets Netscape. SenseNet. SenseNet. Yeah, the thing they're trying yeah, to that, steal from it. It's it's the the, the Paulie's um his flatline. I think that the 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 construct of Dixie flatline. That's what that's what you're talking about. Yes. So yeah, as I understand it, it's it's basically this AI that was created as a sort of mimetic clone of the person who's target, and it's it's it has all of their skills, all of their knowledge, their memories, and their personality. And I, I Armitage wants it for some reason. It's it's based off of the dude that trained uh, uh, Case to be as good as he is as a console cowboy. That's their their thing. They have to um, they have to steal it, and Case is reintroduced 
once again to the Matrix, but they also have to go to this guy named the Finn, who is someone that Molly brought into the job, and they this was this was okay. So they go to his place. And he sets up this thing where they lift a wall up and, like, Velcro it down or something. And it's, it's I guess, a, a safe room that makes it to where if there's something that Armitage is doing with Case and Molly to keep track of them, overhear their conversations and whatnot, this is a way to, to bypass that, to, to, to throw some static in there so they can talk freely. Uh, because they're not... Finn is supposed to be meeting Case then later on, and th this is something that she's kind of doing behind Armitage's back, because she's got her own kind of thing going on, and uh, they're trying to figure out who he is and who's backing him. Mm -hmm. And I think this this comes after Armitage tells Case that the contingency plan to make sure that Case works for him is he put these microbes into his bloodstream that will eventually decay and detach and they contain the what was it the like the myos the myosin or something like that neuro neuromycin the myco myco mycotoxin the mycotoxin that will basically put him back to where he was before the surgery and the only way to be cured of it is to get an enzyme from armitage that will counteract it more or less so that's that's his we did this for you, now you do this for us or else kind of thing. It can't be picked up in scanners. Uh, so they meet with the Finn, and then they go back. What was the meeting with the Finn for? The first one? The first one is where they established all that stuff that you're talking about. The second was to get uh, access to... Uh, he gets he gets access to this thing that he's... I think they, they called it a sim stim. Which is like a like a a way to get like access to someone's like thoughts and and the, their like feelings. So yeah, like he he is like attaching himself to her. He's able to experience things from her consciousness um, as though they're happening to him. Yeah, he's able to jack into Molly, so to say. So yeah, he goes back and he the, now he's gonna have to start working on the job itself where they have to. Um, I forgot the name of the company again. ScopeNet. SenseNet. Uh, SenseNet. 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 Yes. So now he's like he's basically working on the firewall, which is, is he calls it actually it's like it's like an ice wall or ice. Ice. As he has to chip through those the ice walls to get to, uh, SenseNet's thing so that they can pull their heist. So he spends nine days doing that. And now they're ready for the heist itself, and it's going to be this multi-stage thing where, where Case is going to be the man in the chair who's doing all of the hacking and the the um, doing all of the system side things. And then we have these people that we were introduced that Molly got on board. Um, what were they called? The Moderns. They're they're, they're called Moderns. The Panther, the Panther and Moderns. They yeah. sometimes refer to them as just the Moderns. Yeah, who were cyber terrorists or are they just terrorists they are case describes them as mercenaries and practical jokers um and, and also nihilistic techno fetishists so they're, they're essentially just like a they're just a group of like mercenary hackers they're like cyberpunk rock anarchists well 
No, because they don't have any like political that uh, viewpoint. They're just they just uh, they just they just do things just to do them. Like if you if you anybody can hire them. Yeah, I just want to do the cyberpunk rock thing though. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so they, they have these really cool, like, Octo Camo suits for another video game reference there. Uh, they have these suits that, that, they're chameleon suits, and they just blend the things. That's really cool. I, I really like that technology, and they use them to blend in and hide. And so we have this, this, this group of mercenaries, uh, like, the leader has, like, pink hair, which is, like, super, super ostentatious. And they go into the building, the, the, the SenseNet building. Uh, a couple of the of the of the moderns and they're disguised against the wall and they they're basically the eyes and so what the general plan is is case is going to hack in and uh at the same time they have this this all has to go within 20 minutes they have a 20 minute timeline here and so the moderns are throughout the city at different points or throughout the tri-state or something they're going to call uh the cops and tell them that there was an outbreak in the ventilation system of the SenseNet building of this gas this gas agent that turns the people that are infected in it into paranoid uh, and violence-seeking people. So they're, they're supposed to spread that to the cops all at once. And then they also, uh, a little while later, do this, this hack into the SenseNet building itself where they hack all of the screens and they do this um, subliminal message static image video that plays over them and it puts them all in a frenzy because now they're thinking that there's something wrong in the building and this gives Molly, who is infiltrating the building, a way to get in and down to where the flatline is. And we have Case going back and forth between getting into Molly, jacking jacking into Molly, and watching everything and feeling everything that she's experiencing, and then going back into uh, going back into the cyberspace and doing the things that he needs to do. Uh, in the meantime, he's doing a back and forth, uh, and things kind of go slightly wrong. Not like wrong, wrong, but like Molly encounters a little more resistance than she was expecting, and so she has to fight a bunch of guards, and one of them breaks her leg. So when Case switches back to her, he's experiencing all of those those feelings and all that pain. Uh, but she's fine. It's just a minor setback, all things considered. And the plan more or less goes off without a hitch. She gets the flat line. The cops are surrounding the building. And they're just murdering the employees because the employees are trying to escape because they think there's something going on in the building. And the cops think that all of the employees have been infected with this nerve agent that's turning them into to ravage, uh, savage psychopaths. So they're just, like, gunning them down with, with like, riot control. And uh, the Panthers, or the, the, the Moderns, rather, um, help Molly escape. They get out. She goes to uh, get repaired and high successful congratulations we did it simple as that uh which i was expecting this to kind of be the crux of the book no it was one chapter so good job gibson i i thought this would be a whole plot line and i mean it is but i i expected it to be a huge huge thing but it was one really fun chapter and that was it i was like neat that's awesome i really liked the heist it was cool 
That was very cool. So after the heist, uh, Molly gets her repairs. Uh, Case is just doing his thing. He's like, I gotta get out of here. So he starts walking around, and he meets the leader of the uh, the. Or no, yeah, the first he he meets with Armitage, and the leader of the the moderns. I forgot his name. Yonder boy. Yonder boy. And uh, Yonder Boy's being a little cute, and Armitage isn't really, like, taking it, and Case is like, just pay him, you don't want to make an enemy out of this dude, just pay the man. So, because because Armitage wants Molly, because Molly has the flatline, and he's like, you have my girl, and uh, Yonder Boy's like, I mean, she's fine, It's, it, it's she's fine, it doesn't matter, Like we're not going to do anything, just pay us, and Case is like, yeah, just pay him, so he gets paid, and so Case is like, I gotta get out of here, so he leaves to go walk around to just, uh... And Yonder Boy comes back and, and encounters him again, and he give he's like, I got a message for you. Um, was it Wonder Mule? Winter Mute. Winter Mute. I was really close. He's like Winter Mute. Mm, that's confusing. Okay, and then he just leaves. He he fades into the night, and so Case meets back up with Molly, and he's like, Hey, I got a message for you, Winter Mute, and. They do their whole routine of getting back to the Finn so that they can talk freely. And apparently Wintermute was the identity of whatever is is funneling money and paying for Armitage and, and this whole operation. And it turns out that Wintermute is an AI that's being controlled by... Um, oh god, what was it? Uh, Tessier... Tessier, Tessier uh, Ashpool SA. Yes. Uh, is it Tessier or Tessier? Tessier? I don't think it matters. It doesn't matter. We'll just say Tessier. Uh, uh, and so it's the, it's this really big company that uh, the Finn is like, oh, well, I've got a story for this. And we, we learn about the Finn, had, he had this other fence contact, uh, name of Smith, I think, right? Yep, that's right. And Smith knew this man named Johnny who brought him this bust that he... It was had, Jimmy, I think. What did I say, Johnny? Yeah. Oh, I was thinking Johnny the Medic. Oops. Uh, Jimmy, rather. And um, he brought him this bust that he had stolen. Uh, and Smith was like, this is uh, this is something big. And then he is he encounters a ninja. Sneaks into his, his, uh, his place. And he's like, so something of my employer's was stolen. And Smith... Not just anything. I just want to throw out that they describe him as a vat-grown ninja. Yeah. So, like, like a clone assassin boy come, comes into your office. From seemingly out of nowhere. And he's just like, so something of my employer's was stolen. And Smith, who is probably the smartest character in this book so far, was like, Yup. I don't want to die. Here you go. You can have it. I don't want to be a part of this. And the ninja guy's like, how much were you going to sell it for? And Smith, continuing his extremely high intelligence, gives the ninja a number far lower than what he was going to ask for because I don't think he wanted to tempt fate in the slightest. And the ninja's like, hang on, hang on. The ninja was like, there you go. It's in your account. Uh, who gave this to you, by the way? And Smith's like, Jimmy, Jimmy, it was Jimmy? Absolutely. Oh, it was Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy did it, Jimmy. And then he's just like, have a nice day, and leaves. 
And then Jimmy's found dead a little later. And Smith's yep. like, I'm good. I tempted fate. I'm I'm done. I'm I'm uh, have a nice time, the Finn. I'm out. That yeah. is the perfect time. You know, you most you always see in fiction and, and in real life to a certain extent, but in fiction, like they people they just hang on just one more job, just one more job, and then that that's what costs them. Brilliant brilliant idea by Smith by getting out of that moment. Yeah, I'm not smartest being character. No, no, I I I know you're not. I'm just saying like possibly the smartest character not just in this novel but like maybe top 10% just in general too many too many guys getting sucked in by the just one last job racket yep and 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 smith got got some a good payday out of it all things considered so yep and that that and it turns out that ninja worked for um uh uh TAS, TASA is that how they the shorthand for it uh, uh, Terry A. Ash, Ash. I think they just. I, I think they just called it T A. Yeah, I think that was the the shortened version. Yeah, so he worked. He works for for T A. Uh, and yeah, there's some there's some there's, there's something going on here that is uh a little more suspect than what we we think. So yeah, uh, that night, uh, Case jacks into the flatline. And talks to McCoy. Anyway, yeah, it was it was he he jacks into the he he connects to the um the construct, and he kind of gets this sensation of someone reading over your shoulder. And that's that's when he he realizes he's connected to something, and he he calls out to uh to uh, to his friend, and his friend answers. And um, it's it's interesting. He tries to talk to him, and he doesn't seem to have any memory of anything. He just. He just seems like almost like a blank slate. Despite he basically just knows who he is, but he doesn't seem to have much memory beyond that. So he just he's disconnecting and reconnecting, and uh, he's finding that that the construct does not remember their previous conversations. So so they talk a little bit more, and then he explains that he's a wrong construct, um, and that he asks he asks for his help in uh, getting getting Armitage. Armitage's data, and uh, Dixie's like, "Well, I guess I don't really have much of a choice." And that's basically the end of the chapter. And yeah, that's that's about where we're gonna end it here. Uh, so, yeah, uh, next week we're gonna continue on with with Neuromancer. We're gonna learn what uh, what Case found out uh, about looking into Armitage, and we're gonna go from there. Uh, this is a really, really interesting book. Uh, I didn't know what I was expecting because it's 1980s cyberpunk, and like I said, cyberpunk was not a, a genre that I was hyper familiar with outside of what you would expect. Things like Blade Runner or Cyberpunk 2077, you know, things like that kind of like broad, general cyberpunky kind of thing. I had never read any cyberpunk novels. I, I, I would in in that vein, I'd love to read uh, Philip K. Dick, who wrote do uh electronic or what well, do android, do android stream, stream of electric sheep yeah uh I, i've always wanted to read that which was the inspiration for blade runner so this was all kind of new for me at least in terms of a in a, in a literary context and as i said earlier the the techno jarble uh it sounds cool i don't know what it means but the characters know what it means so that's good enough for me and it, it sounds neat when you read it and you're like yeah that's that's the technology woo so 
this is a cool book. This is a very cool book so far. Yeah, I've been very much enjoying it so far too. All right, I guess that, that'll that'll get us for this week. Uh, we're wrapping it up there. But uh, thanks for joining us um, for another episode of the Sad Boys Book Club. I'm Daniel. And I'm Dusty. And we'll see you next time. Take care.